Hi, I'm Addie George with Plan Sponsor Consultants, and I will be one of your hosts here on the Plan Sponsor Consultants podcast. We strive each week to bring to light a topic relevant to those who administer a retirement plan for their employees. I'm joined again today by Mike Kane, our founder and managing director. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Today's episode is based around a recent blog post that we posted on our website entitled Five Big Changes Plan Sponsors Need to Know, and it's part of our ERISA update. That post is linked in our description of this podcast as well. Yep. Uh, we actually published this in February, but as we've been working on uh, a podcast, we felt that this was uh, an important topic to include. Agreed. Well, sort of topics, plural, right? There's kind of five topics here today. Um, so as always, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform, and you can find us online at... PlansponsorConsultants.com. But as always, remember, the information we provide in these podcasts is designed to educate retirement plan sponsor, but is not intended as authoritative advice or tax or legal advice. Each plan's got unique requirements and provisions, and you should consult your attorney or tax advisor for guidance on your specific situation. And you can find more information about today's topic, all of our topics, in fact, and our firm on our website, plansponsorconsultants.com. All right, Mike, let's jump right in on this one because there's a lot to cover. So the first point in this blog post ties to something that you've actually done a lot of speaking about nationally, and that's tied into behavioral finance principles. This has to do with how retirement savings are being shown to participants. Yep. So we're talking about balances being shown as a lifetime income projection. For years and years and years, the Department of Labor and Congress have been lobbied to be able to convert, show some conversion of plan balances so that people would see what that would represent for their income uh, for the rest of the life if they retired on the spot. So the SECURE Act uh, that was passed actually took some action on this and requires that a participant account balance also be expressed as both a life annuity and a qualified joint survivor annuity. A new DOL regulation applies the rule to define contribution plans, whether or not they provide uh, annuities as a form of distribution. This will take effect for all statements issued after September of 2021, and they're requiring that these disclosures be made at least once a year. Some of these are already visible on websites of many large record keepers already. Uh, The next big change in our blog post is around pooled employer plans. This has been a topic that we've been discussing in the industry for a while now, and it seems like they're here. This is the year. This was also brought in from the SECURE Act and allowed unrelated employers to group together to create a pooled employer plan, which they're calling a PEP. Yeah, um it doesn't seem like there is a day that goes by in the retirement plan press that there isn't some article on these new PEPs, both positive and negative. But some of the details about these plans are still developing. But among one of the things we know are about logistics. Among other requirements, PEPs must designate a pooled plan provider to serve as a name uh, fiduciary and plan administrator. And you can see just by the statement there 
that this is obviously a big job with lots of ramifications. So there aren't a lot of people at this point raising their hand to do this these particular jobs, but this will come. Anyway, um, the, other, the other thing is that a PEP must register with the Department of Labor and Treasury Department before beginning operations. And what is the expected benefit for these types of arrangements? Well, again, this is something that's lobbied for over the years to reduce costs for small plans. So it's anticipated that those participating in a, in a PEP will save on administrative costs. Um, there would be one foreign to file, uh, uh, 5,500. This would allow a small employer to take advantage of a higher plan's um, value and assets, and that's some cost savings as well. When you have larger plans, they have larger assets, and therefore, typically, the administrative charges are less. So if you have, you've created a PEP, and the more assets to go into the PEP, would probably reduce the plan expenses. At least that's what everybody's expecting. So this will open access to lower investment options, lower cost investment options for a participant. And as I mentioned, uh, this will be a developing topic for 2021, and we'll keep discussing it on our blog, social media, uh, as we get more and more details. With that, let's jump into our third topic. I think this is a question a lot of us have in a variety of areas of our lives for right now. But for today, let's talk about it from the standpoint of retirement plans. But the question is, what are going to be the long-term effects of this global pandemic that we've been in for the last year? So, like you mentioned, um, this applies throughout our lives. There'll be a lot of impacts we don't know about, we won't know about for some time. Um, we'll have to let's see how things play out and the true extent of some of the pandemic. Although the more people to get vaccinated, the more herd immunity you get, the better off we're going to be. But let's take a look at from the perspective of the CARES Act, which is passed primarily to, to create some relief for participants and plan sponsors alike. Right. So the probably biggest piece of the CARES Act for most plan sponsors was the ability to offer some modification to their loan and withdrawal policies without having to formally amend the plan by creating a new loan and distribution type. Yeah, loans and distributions are always complex and uh, to many retirement plans. And this and the CARES Act added to it. Uh, it related, the loans need to be paid back within three years. Mm -hmm. So that's something plan part sponsors and participants need to be tracking. And, and of course, plans haven't been amended to adjust their procedures for these distributions and uh, loan types. Now that you mentioned that, how could this impact rollovers or roll-ins? Now that areas are beginning to open up and we're beginning to see some companies hiring again, could these CARES loans impact a participant's options going forward? Yeah, this is, a, is an example of uh, the procedures that we address in our blog post. Uh, if, if an employer is willing to take on a CARES Act loan, you know, does that participant need to wait to roll over the balance? Or are they permitted to do it now? What amendments um, has the plan enacted to date? There is basically no blanket advice at this point, and a recommendation would be definitely to sit down with your advisor or record keeper 
around your plan and this, you know, and and see how it's set up currently and what you might want to do to adjust or amend it. Also, if there's a merger or acquisition on the horizon, uh, this is something to think about in that sense as well. The key is now to have uh, a prudent process in place. That's great advice. And I feel like that's our advice frequently is prudent process and document. But um, let's go out of order from our blog post for just a minute. And the next change we want to talk about is e-delivery. So I know we have another episode on this topic, whether it's already posted or upcoming. But can you give us the 30-second version of this change? Yeah, um, $3.2 billion savings over 10 years, according to the Department of Labor. That's one of the, that's the headline. So uh, we have an episode on that topic specifically, Addie. Thanks for bringing it up. The short answer is they've developed a safe harbor that allows a plant sponsor to utilize e-delivery to participants for a number of covered documents like QDIA, uh, notifications, summary plan descriptions, uh, you know, modifications, uh, and uh, participant fee disclosure, annual fee disclosures, things of this nature, which is, again, is supposed to generate a cost savings of $3.2 billion over the next decade. Fantastic. And we'll make sure that that episode is linked in the description here as well. Um, The last topic is one that we've been discussing in the industry for at least several years now. I I remember it coming up at conferences, and that's cybersecurity. So what was the change, and what do we have going on with with cybersecurity now? Well, what I can tell you about cybersecurity is that every RFP that either we have created or been asked to respond to has some section and questions on cybersecurity. Well, that's uh, a good thing because we want people to be aware of it. Exactly, exactly. So uh, the biggest change is there's now ongoing litigation with regards to this. So we have a recent case with Barnett versus Abbott Labs. So in this case, a participant who was a victim of a cyber attack had money stolen from the retirement account and proceeded to sue both the employer, the plan sponsor, and the TPA and record keeper. So an eye on legislation understanding who can be sued in a case such as this is of ongoing concern to plan sponsors. That makes sense. And yes, I would worry. And I assume that we're going to see some best practices that are going to adjust and pop up in the market here soon, keeping cybersecurity and cyber threats front of mind. Also, a plan sponsor could be checking with their insurance brokers to see if they have protection for their plan and their fiduciaries for such an act, yeah? Yeah, and uh, I would add, it's always a good discussion to have with your record keeper and TPA to at least document you've discussed their cybersecurity protocols in your selection and monitoring of that provider. That's a great point also. And they're not all created equal. And when you're asking that, you not only want to be asking what are their protocols, but are they testing their protocols? Um, And make sure you're documenting that, even if it's simply in your notes of a committee meeting, that you're documenting that you are reviewing these these factors. Um, So that's kind of the highlight segment for the top five big changes for ERISA plans for this year. And we look forward to seeing you guys on several episodes on each of those topics upcoming. So, as always, subscribe and get in touch with us. Let us know what you might want to hear about here on the Plan Sponsor Consultants podcast. 
With that, this is Addie George. And Mike Kane signing off. We'll see you next week. <laughs>